When we hear that a patient has an eating disorder, we almost always think of a female. Yet adolescent boys do have disordered eating. Might knowing the risk factors help us target our interventions? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, author of You Can Think Like a Psychiatrist, your host. And with me today is Dr. Diane Ackard. Dr. Ackard is a licensed psychologist in private practice and specializes in the treatment and research of mood and anxiety disturbances, eating disorders and body image disturbances, and traumatic events. In addition to her private practice, Dr. Ackard holds positions as adjunct assistant professor in the Division of Epidemiology and Community Health at the University of Minnesota, and as research scientist at the Eating Disorders Institute at Methodist Hospital in St. Louis Park. Welcome to ReachMD. Thank you very much, Dr. Lunt. I'm very happy to be here today. Tell us about disordered eating in boys in particular. You know, most of us think about eating disorders as problems that affect girls and women. And we may even hold myths that eating disorders mostly exist among girls and women who are Caucasian, maybe even from upper-middle-class families. But what we see from an epidemiological perspective is much more broad. And in fact, boys may be at greater risk than we thought. We conducted a study last year, my colleagues and I from the University of Minnesota, using a large population-based survey of over 4,700 Minnesota teens. And what we found was rather alarming. While the rates of full threshold eating disorder diagnoses were expectedly low, such as less than 3% overall for girls and boys, the percentage of youth who engaged in a broader set of behaviors to control their weight and who reported extreme dissatisfaction with their bodies was markedly high and at a level of concern. In boys as well as girls? In boys as well as girls, right. Did you notice differences in what kinds of things they were worried about? Yes, we did. And in fact, you know, typically with the girls, we would find some of the more common dieting behaviors where they're restricting, they may be using diuretics or diet pills or engaging in binge eating and self-induced vomiting. And the boys, well, they weren't exempt from those kinds of behaviors, but they also used compulsive exercise as a means for them to regulate their body dissatisfaction. Now, are the boys trying to be thin like the girls, or do they want to be more Arnold Schwarzenegger? That's a great question, and you're right, that they want to be more like their social cultural ideal, which is more muscular than necessarily lean. But when we look at these behaviors, we know that body dissatisfaction is the driving force behind them engaging in these behaviors. So they may be dissatisfied not because, like girls, that they want thinness, but because they look to the culture and they see men who are buff and muscular and cut and very athletic, and that's why their behaviors may, from a spectrum standpoint, look a little different than what we see with girls. It is pretty amazing. I have a first grader boy, and he talks about his six-pack, which, of course, cracks me up because we call him he has a (laughs) no-pack. But that even that young, the boys are impressed by this in a cultural way. That's right. When we think about the television programming, when we look at the toys, you know, the G.I. Mm, Joes that seem to be on steroids, etc., it's very early on that boys are getting exposed to some of these cultural images as well as girls. Anything else that comes out in the epidemiology in terms of what is different between the boys and the girls with disordered eating? 
Yeah, I think that there's a couple different things. You know, when we typically think about eating disorders and genders being an kind of a nine-to-one ratio, and really from an epidemiological standpoint, we're seeing it more as a four-to-three ratio, that in the general population of individuals who aren't seeking treatment, for every four females with eating disorder concerns, there may be three males with similar concerns. But what we're not finding is that that's true in our clinic populations. If you walk into an eating disorder inpatient facility or even an outpatient facility, we're not seeing as many boys in treatment as we do girls, even though in the population-based studies, we do believe that the ratios are more equal. Ideas why that is? You know, well, we don't know for sure because a lot of the research focuses on clinical samples of individuals who are seeking treatment, but I want to venture a couple guesses. One is that there's still a social perception that eating disorders are a girl problem, that boys are unlikely to get them. And so they're not maybe likely to seek treatment. Another is that males who actually do want treatment may not be aware that treatment is available specifically for them. We're very lucky here in the United States. There are clinics that offer specific treatment groups for males with eating disorders And that may help to normalize the experience for them. Are there any treatment centers that specialize in boys that you would particularly recommend? There are two treatment facilities that I think have excellent programming for males, and there are others. But two that I'm more familiar with are Dr. Arnold Anderson's clinic in Iowa and then Rogers Memorial Hospital in Oconomowoc, Wisconsin. And that's led by Dr. Ted Weltstein. Both of these facilities do have specific programming for males that they can incorporate into their treatment, and they've also conducted some of the most excellent research in terms of treatment for males with eating disorders. Do you, in fact, treat them differently than how we treat girls? There are some differences, and even from a diagnostic perspective, eating disorders are more geared toward being detected in girls because one of the criterion, for example, for anorexia nervosa is that they lose their menstrual periods. Mm. Well, so how do we assess that in boys? Obviously, it's not even a real factor. So we do work towards treating them a little bit differently. Obviously, some of the weight concerns, normalizing the eating habits, making sure that they're having good nutritional quality to their meal pattern, those are going to be consistent between males and between females. So that's going to be stable. But then there are other factors such as why did they get this eating disorder? Were males, we see a little bit more in terms of concerns about maybe a medical problem, whereas with girls it might be more about thinness. For males, sometimes it's about sports performance. That can be true for girls too, but we don't see it quite as often as we might for males. And then we also, from a male perspective, take a look at the concerns that might be related to sexuality. If we look at the cultural ideals for females, they're mostly geared towards heterosexual girls and women. But the social cultural ideals and the emphasis on physique for boys may be geared a little bit more toward boys who are of bisexual or homosexual orientation. So yes, the treatments do differ. If you're just joining our discussion, you're listening to ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is Dr. Diane Ackard. 
We are discussing the relationship now between sexual history and eating disorders in boys. You've studied, Dr. Ackard, how sexual history may be an indicator of disordered eating in boys. How do you connect these two things? Well, in order for us to fully understand the epidemiology of eating disorders, we look toward understanding some of the factors that might put individuals at risk. And several in my group, several of us, had anecdotally observed in our clinical work that the percentage of males who were seeking treatment was increasing and that some of these males reported having sexual relationships with other males but didn't necessarily identify themselves as homosexual or bisexual in sexual orientation. So there's a body of research out in the field that indicates that homosexual or bisexual males are at increased risk for eating disorders compared to heterosexual males. But when you're working with adolescents, and especially adolescent males, I don't know that their sexual orientation is yet well-defined. They may end up being or identifying as gay or as bisexual, but they may not be at a point where they want to take that label on yet at an early age. But so we looked specifically just at behaviors. And how did you do that? Well, what we ended up doing, we used a large data set that's gleaned from 6th, 9th, and 12th grade students in the state of Minnesota, and that's coordinated by the Minnesota Department of Education. We had from this study 10,000 male students who reported that they were sexually active and answered questions on sexual activity. And then we split that sample by whether or not they reported that they had male-only, female-only, or both male and female sexual partners. And then we also had some questions on binge eating and disordered eating behavior, such as laxative use, diet pill use, self-induced vomiting, smoking, and fasting or skipping meals to lose or control weight. So what we ended up doing was looking at whether those male teens with male versus female sexual partners were more likely to engage in eating disorder behaviors and whether those male teens with a higher number of sexual partners versus a lower number were more likely to engage in eating disorder behaviors. And what did you find? Well, from our study, first of all, it was kind of consistent with what we had reported in the epidemiological study. We found that 41% of all of the boys, regardless of their sexual activity, had used some type of disordered eating behavior. Now, that, again, is pretty high. It's higher than what we would expect. But the prevalence of disordered eating behaviors was much greater for those who reported either a higher number of sexual partners regardless of the gender, or for those who reported having male partners in their sexual relations. How do you connect all this together? We connected it by looking at the extant literature, which suggests that males who engage in sex with other males or who identify themselves as homosexual or bisexual are at greater risk. So we believe that among this adolescent sample who aren't necessarily identifying themselves as homosexual or bisexual yet, if we just look at the gender of their sexual behaviors or we look at the frequency of their sexual behaviors, that we're seeing a pattern that might suggest that they may, in time, orient themselves towards homosexuality or bisexuality. And for another subgroup of them 
who may just be engaging in a lot of experimentation that may include sexuality, but may also include weight control behaviors. And we didn't actually gather this data, but we would suspect that maybe this is just a more impulsive group of individuals that might also be doing some reckless driving, maybe having some trouble with spending, and just you know, a little bit more risk takers overall. Well, thank you so much for teaching us about this today. Thank you. We've been discussing the relationship between sexual behavior and eating disorders in adolescent boys with Dr. Diane Ackard. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt. You've been listening to our special segment on children's health on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your questions and comments. Please visit us at ReachMD.com. Our new on-demand and podcast features will allow you to access our entire program library. Thank you for listening.